Hey, uh, please open your Bibles to Romans chapter 6. So glad you're here as always. Romans chapter 6 is where we are continuing in our series. If you're in overflow right now, welcome. If you're watching online, glad that you're able to join us in that way. Romans chapter 6. You know, one of the greatest blessings of preaching at times, and in some ways this happens more than other, but when you're preaching, you're kind of aware, you almost step outside yourself, and you understand by God's internal witness and by his Holy Spirit, listen to this now, that what you're saying is right. Like you're looking at the pages of scripture and you're like, this is light in the darkness of our day. This is truth in the lies of the world that surrounds us. This is just truly written by God and he's using it to change lives. It brings so much security and so much joy and so much passion because you just know that God is in it, especially, of course, in the time that we live as we approach Romans 6, 12 to 14 today, this passage is no exception to what I just said. We are approaching now in our series, we start in verse 1, now we're in verse 12, a major application section. Okay, so this is a huge therefore. The word therefore is in our text, and the therefore here is pointing to, again, the reality of what we've learned so far. So when you're studying Scripture, this is a classic saying, it's said all the time, okay, but when you're studying Scripture, when you see the word therefore, it's really good to ask, what's it there for? Okay? And so that helps you understand there's a transition, there's a point being made, and that is very clear today as we look at Again, verses 12 to 14. So I just want to get a recap of where we've been. Because we come to verse 12, the transition is there, the therefore statement is made. That's pointing us back specifically to verses 1 to 10 in Romans 6. So what have we learned in Romans 6, verses 1 to 10? We've learned a lot. There's astounding truth that's being presented. We've learned this. If you and I are genuinely saved in Jesus Christ, okay? If we are in Christ, if we are in union with Christ, if we are alive in Jesus Christ, here's what we've learned so far. In Christ, you have died to sin. In Christ, you've been raised to newness of life. In Christ, you are united with him in his death and his resurrection. In Christ, your old self was crucified. In Christ, your body of sin has been rendered ineffective. It has been brought to nothing, the text says. In Christ, you're no longer enslaved to sin. In Christ, sin has no dominion over you. In Christ, ready, you're dead to sin and you're alive to God, okay? So that's massive truth. And Paul states that in verses one to 10. And then he comes to verse 12, ready, ready, ready? Because of this truth now, therefore... Therefore, because of this reality, here comes the application. So just by way of recap, I, want, I said a lot there. Let's put it on the screen for you. Take a look. Here's Romans 6, verses 1 to 10. Here's the mind-blowing, astounding reality of all those who are saved in the Lord Jesus Christ. This is your truth to take to the spiritual bank. Cash this check. It's yours only in Christ. You've died to sin. You're raised to newness and life. You're united with Christ, death and resurrection. Old self was crucified. The body of sin brought to nothing. No longer enslaved to sin. Death has no dominion. You are dead to sin. You are alive to God. Again, therefore. So whatever comes next is pretty powerful and pretty awesome. Again, that's our passage today. Romans 6, verse 12. Take a look. Hopefully now you're very expectant. Look at verse 12. Let not sin therefore. See, there it is. 
Therefore, because of what you just heard and were told, therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Let not sin therefore reign. Verse 13, do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you. Why? Since you are not under law, but you are under grace. Okay, here we go, okay? So based on our reality in Christ, a big therefore comes. Point number one now is this. Therefore, sin must not reign in my body. And that's specific there. Sin must not reign in my body. Again, verse 12. Let not sin, therefore, reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Now watch this. As we transition into verse 12, notice again in the New Testament, Paul does this all the time. Paul is moving from the indicative to the imperative. He is moving from the indicative. What's the indicative? The indicative is our past reality in Christ. The fact that we have been saved. It's the declaration. The indicative is the declaration. You are alive to God. You are dead to sin. Christ has paid for your sins. You are now his. Sin no longer enslaves you. Death has no dominion over you. Either does sin. That's the indicative. It's the declaration of who you are if you're saved in Christ. But in scripture, listen, the indicative always leads to the imperative. If the indicative is, I have been saved in Christ, that's the declaration over my life, it leads to the imperative, which is the command or the obligation that I now have because of what Christ has done. See, you can't be truly saved and not be changed. If you're truly alive to God, there are commands to follow in obedience to God in Christ Jesus to look more like him. So right in our text here, verses 1 to 10, indicative, like to the max, all those things we listed. Now, therefore, because Christ has saved you, now the obligation, now the command, now the natural flow of let not sin, therefore, based on indicative, reign in your mortal body, which again becomes the imperative, which becomes the command. So this is the foundation of everything we've heard so far in Romans 6. This is the foundation of our call to grow because of what Christ has done in our lives. If he has saved us, if we are set free, if we're no longer saved to sin, therefore we must pursue the path of obedience of not letting sin, in this case, reign in our mortal bodies, right? You have died to sin, you're alive to God. Indicative. Now, live like it. Imperative. If you're truly alive to God, then you live like it. Alive to God, indicative. Live like it. Imperative. Declaration alive to God. Again, obligation now. Live like it because God has made you alive in his son, Jesus Christ. Another way to say this, as we've learned, when there's genuine justification if you're genuinely converted to Jesus Christ, there must be sanctification. You cannot have someone who's truly saved and not be changed. 
There must be evidence of fruit from someone who's genuinely saved in the Lord Jesus Christ. This is what we've been learning. And in this case, in our text today, specifically we read, let not sin, therefore, reign in your mortal body to make you, listen, obey its passions. So here we see the seriousness of our battle with sin. Take a look. Look at verse 12. Notice what's happening just in verse 12 alone. Notice from this one verse. Notice what sin wants to do to you. Sin desires to reign over you. Sin wants to control your body and its passions and desires. Sin wants your allegiance to its evil and destructive passions that wage war within you. Here's a, a very helpful parallel text, 1 Peter 2.11 on the screen for you. Take a look at this. This is Peter now, not Paul, but look what Peter says. Beloved, to believers, by the way, he's speaking to believers. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war. I mean, very serious language here, right? Which wage war against your soul. Such a strong parallel verse with Romans 6, verse 12. It's saying pretty much the same thing. We are in a battle even as believers. Again, sin wants to reign over us. Sin wants us to bow down and worship its passions and lusts of the flesh. Think about that for a second. Now notice the phrase in verse 12 of our text. Notice the phrase mortal body here. Mortal body is very specific. If you look at Romans 6, verse 6, you will also notice Paul says that has bought the body of sin to nothing. The word body is used again. So what is mortal body here? Well, it's nothing other than our physical body, our physical flesh. It has to be. Consider the amounts of lust and evil that are specifically related to the body. Think about it for a second. Consider the way we use our eyes. The things we look at. Is it wickedness or righteousness? Consider our ears. The things we listen to. Is it wickedness or righteousness? Consider our lips or our mouths. The words we speak. The book of Proverbs says that the tongue is able to give life or bring death. Are our words being used for wickedness or righteousness? Consider our minds. The thoughts we think will ultimately end up in the behaviors that we, again, display uh, in our lives. Consider the heart contained, again, our being, our affections, um, our direction. The heart indicates so much. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks, again, in our bodies. Consider, again, consider um, our... Uh, our, our hands or our feet, right? The way we use our hands, our feet, the direction we go in. Again, this is all our body. Consider our sexual actions. All of this is within the body, the mortal body. How are we using, again, our bodies before the Lord Jesus Christ? This is what the text is saying. Now consider this also. Consider how often our mortal bodies demand to be served. The passions of our flesh every day is demanding to be bowed down to. Consider the entire sexual revolution that confronts us even today. It is centered ultimately on a longing, a lust for physical pleasure and physical satisfaction and rampant individualism to pursue whatever longing the flesh has. 
Consider that. It's fundamentally, the sexual revolution is fundamentally a worship of the passions of the lusts of the body. That's the perfect example where sin is completely reigning. Sin is reigning according to scripture. In fact, the sin of the flesh is causing people to bow down and worship the passions and lusts of the flesh. Again, consider our own lives though. Consider how our mortal body demands to be served so often because sin is always lurking. We've got a very strong parallel text here for our passage today, Genesis 4, 7. I've always appreciated this verse. Had it to memory many, many years ago through a mentor. Look at, this is God speaking to Cain just before he murders Abel. If you do well, will you not be accepted, Cain? But if you do not do well, Look at this metaphorical language, so helpful. Sin is crouching at the door. So well said. And notice, the desire of sin is contrary to you or against you or is for you, translations say, Cain, you must rule over it. You must rule over it. Sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is for you. And of course, we knew that sin did get Cain because he ended up leaving this place and a few verses later, he murders his brother Abel. Now think about in our lives. That's again, a powerful metaphor. We live our lives and we walk through many, many doors and we're not vigilant, we're clueless, we're walking around, we're indifferent, we love our sin, whatever. And sin is behind the door, what an image, ready to pounce. Sin wants to ambush us. Maybe this past week, sin ambushed you. This past month, this past year. How many of us have been ambushed by sin? Sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is for you, church. You must rule over it. Again, the Bible says that's what's happening here in Romans 6, verse 12. Sin is lurking. Sin is crouching. Sin is positioning. Sin is ready to ambush because sin wants to get you, to destroy you. Sin wants to rain on you. Sin wants to rule you. So that's the battle we face. But listen, remember, let's go back now. Let's get some gospel. Let's get some truth, right? The whole point of Romans 6 thus far Right? Paul's detailing the battle of sin that's in front of us, but the whole point of Romans 6 is, in Jesus Christ, he has won this battle for us. Right? Jesus Christ, he died on the cross, he was raised from the dead, so if we believe in Jesus Christ, we too, the power of sin has been broken in our lives. So therefore, in Christ, sin no longer reigns. Therefore, in Christ, sin has no dominion ultimately. And because sin does not reign in the life of the believer we have been given the power then in Christ to not let sin reign. That's what Paul's doing now. There's lots of slavery terminology in Romans 6 through 8, right? What Paul is saying, John Murray's helpful here. John Murray says this. He says, it, you would not say to the slave who's still a slave, you would not say to the slave who's in prison, you would not say, hey, don't behave as a slave. You wouldn't say that to the slave who is still enslaved. Hey, don't behave as a slave. That's mocking their enslavement. However, if you say to the same thing to the person who has now been set free, who was formerly a slave, 
but has now been set free. The prison doors are open, the shackles are off, and this person is now free in Christ. Now you say to that person, don't behave as a slave. You're not mocking them. You are claiming their status and right of their liberation. You see? So if you've been set free in Christ, the Bible's saying to us, listen, if you're in Christ, you are no longer enslaved to sin. You've been set free. So now behave as those who are not enslaved to sin. Don't behave as those who are enslaved because you're not. Behave as those who have been set free. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal bodies to make you obey its passions. In Jesus Christ, this no longer has to happen, right? Summary, in Christ, indicative, in Christ, all these indicative, imperative, let not sin reign. Let not sin reign. Sin is not to preside over our house. Sin does not hold the seat of authority for those of us who are saved in the Lord Jesus Christ. Again, if you look at verse 12, here's application. You look at verse 12, what sin haunts you? What sin ruins you? What sin is taking you down on a daily basis? What sin, again, I want you to look at verse 12. Let not sin therefore reign. Now take the word sin out and specifically replace it with the actual sin you most struggle with. So in the context of our passage in so many New Testament writings, let not sin, let not lust, therefore, reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Let not anxiety, therefore, let not greed, therefore, let not bitterness, therefore, I want you to take your sin, I want you to place it in there and say it out loud. Each week we're trying to do this. This is very helpful for me. And then this past week, again, you claim what's true in Jesus Christ. Let not blank, whatever sin it is that you face, let not pride, let not, again, worry, let not jealousy, let not these sins, let not, you say it out loud, reign in your mortal body because Jesus Christ has died to set you free if you are alive in him. So you see the theology that we're learning right now? So I got a couple signs that I wanna present to you right now. So here is, our, here is our reality of our life before Christ in terms of sin, okay? Our life before Christ in terms of sin is like, hey, sin, come on in. You reign, you rule, I'm dead. Okay, before Christ, we're like, hey, sin, come on in. After Christ, not so much, okay? After Christ, sorry, we're closed, okay? After Christ, right, I belong to someone else, we're closed, not open for business. Before Christ, we don't care. Sin, come on in, do whatever you want, man, whatever it is. After Christ, no, no, sorry, we're closed, right? Some of you identify that, some of you don't. Let's get another sign, all right? How about this one? Uh, in Christ, sorry, I'm private property now. Okay, amen, this is good theology, I belong to Jesus Christ. I have died to sin, no longer me, him that lives in me. I am now private property. Satan, sin, again, again, I'm no longer enslaved to you. Some of you don't like that one, maybe you'll like this one. Okay, hey, hey, sin, no trespassing here, baby. All right, no trespassing. No trespassing, man. I'm alive in the Lord Jesus Christ again. And this is just good theology today. You have to hold up the signs that are yours in Christ Jesus. You see what Paul's doing right here? Paul's like, hey, you've been given this. Live like it. You've been given this. Claim the truth. You've been given this now, the indicative. Here's the imperative. Take it as yours. Sin, again, sin can no longer reign in my body. This takes us to point number two which is this, therefore, indicative, here's the imperative, I must present myself to God. I thought of different ways of saying point two, but it's right in the text, it's beautiful, and I just love this imagery and this word, we're gonna unpack this together. Look at verse 13 now. 
So it says this, do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. Let me paraphrase the first part of verse 13, okay? I'll say it as simply as I can. Here's what the text is saying, ready? Stop using your body parts for wickedness. That's what it's saying. Stop using your body parts for wickedness. Verse 12 used mortal body. Verse 13 now, it's members. What are members? Body parts. Members, actual parts of our body given to us by God for his glory. The person who is ruled though by sin, the person who is reigned over by sin, the text says, they present their body parts as instruments of unrighteousness. It's right there, verse 13. So this is very serious stuff then, isn't it? So we ask our question, then we ask a question. Are our body parts being used as instruments of wickedness? Are they? It's sobering, it's sobering. This is when you start to see what the Bible's teaching here, specifically on the mortal body and our physical body or flesh. Other verses start to pop like crazy now, right? So let's take the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus, in teaching in Matthew 5, he says, if your eye causes you to sin, body, pluck it out. He's not being literal there, but he is being very, very serious. Do whatever it takes. If your eye causes you to, if you're looking at things that are causing you to sin, that are leading you to destruction, whatever it takes, it's better for you to go to heaven with one eye, Jesus says, than go to hell with two. On the same level, if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. If your Hands are leading you to sin and destruction and eternal separation from God. Again, Jesus will say, it's better going to heaven eternal life with one hand than going to hell with two. The seriousness of how our bodies are being used in our lives and how we're presenting them either for instruments of wickedness or instruments of righteousness. If you look at the middle part of verse 13 now, so now he says this, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life. Now, can you see when the part can you see the indicative and the imperative again in the part I just read? You look at it there. Can you see the indicative and the imperative, right? So the imperative is present yourselves to God. Why? Based on the indicative, because he has brought you from death to life. You see that? So you've been brought to death to life, indicative. So the imperative, the obligation now is again, present yourselves to God. Because he's raised you to new life. This makes total sense. In Christ, he has purchased us by his blood. We are no longer our own. Another wonderful verse, 1 Corinthians chapter 6 on the screen for you. Look at this verse pop now for us. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you? Hey, Christian here today, genuine Christian, your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit whom you have from God. God has given this to you and me, so you are not your own. I mean, look at that. You are not your own. You belong, your body is not your own. For you are bought with a price, specifically the blood of Jesus Christ. So notice, the indicative, you've been purchased, imperative, glorify God with your body. And the context of 1 Corinthians 6 is a massively serious exhortation on sexual sin and sexual immorality temples of the Holy Spirit, our bodies matter a great deal to the Lord. 
because so much of how we use our bodies is an indication, again, of what's happening within and the attitudes of the heart. Present yourselves to God. It's interesting, eh? So verse 13, now notice here, verse 13, present yourselves, not your members here, or at least in this part, present yourselves to God. Members is coming next. Present yourselves, yourselves, your whole being. Present your soul, present your life, present your heart. Present yourselves. It's very reminiscent of Romans 12, 1. Offer yourselves as a living sacrifice to God, which will be holy and acceptable or holy and pleasing to him, which is your spiritual worship. Present yourselves to God. I was thinking on that this week. Present yourselves to God. And I thought of the hymn, the beautiful hymn, where it says, um, here's my life, Lord, take and seal it. Seal it for thy courts above. Like, it's so good to hear. Like, here's my life. Here's my life, Lord. I present it to you. Take and seal it. Seal it, Lord. Seal it for thy courts above. The person who's presenting, offering, living sacrifice. Here's my heart, Lord. Take and seal it. Seal it for thy courts above. And of course, the lines that precede that one in that hymn go like this. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Like, isn't that so true? We're so prone to wander. We sang today, he will hold me fast. Our love often grows cold. Prone to wander. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Here's my heart, Lord. Take and seal it. Here's my heart, Lord. I present myself to you. Take, take all. Take all. Seal it for your courts above. That's what presenting yourselves to God is. I wonder how many of us right here watching Overflow in this room right now, how many of us need to present ourselves afresh to God? How long has it been since we've ever even contemplated or meditated on this truth? That we need to present ourselves afresh to God today all the areas of our life. You know, I really, really strongly encourage you for those. I mean, what's happening right now is that what the enemy's gonna try to do and your flesh will try to do is within minutes from now, try to make you just compartmentalize this message, this passage, just put it aside and move on to the rest of your day, not think about it ever again. For those who are serious about growing in the Lord Jesus Christ, though, you will find a way. You will discipline yourselves. You will open up Romans 6, 12 to 14 sometime today. You will look at it. You will pray over it. You will meditate on it. And you will say, Lord, what does it mean to present myself to God? What area of my life? Where can I do the Holy Spirit? Some of you, the Holy Spirit speaking to you right now. There's others, though. This is not just right now. Leave it. Go have lunch and forget about it. No, no, no. This is now understanding this is so important. This is the essence of my faith. Here's my heart, Lord. Take and seal it. Seal it for thy courts above and you're examining your life. See, I've done my part now. Now it's your turn. I've done all I can do to be faithful to God and his text and his word and preaching faithfully what is true. And now it's your turn and my turn too as I have to apply this to my heart and life. But I can't do this part for you. You have to do that before the Lord. Presenting ourselves afresh to God. Interesting here, the word, the verb present literally means to place at someone's disposal. Here's my life, Lord. I place it at your disposal. Whatever you want to do. What is it? It's surrender. It's surrender. It's surrender. I yield. I offer. Here's my life. But notice what he says next in verse 13. So present yourselves to God, but then he says this, and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. What's that? Your body, your body. 
You see, so if you generally present your whole being to God, well, naturally, you present your body parts to God. Naturally, you must present your member. You can't present your whole self and not your body. Of course, you present your members to God as instruments of righteousness. Questions. Is my tongue being used for righteousness? Right now, this past week, this past month, is my tongue being used for righteousness? Are my eyes viewing righteousness? What am I looking at? What am I viewing that is wickedness? Are my ears listening to righteousness or am I consumed by listening to things in the end are rooted in wickedness? Is my mind thinking on all things pure, Philippians 4? Or is my mind engaged in thoughts of wickedness? Is my body, specifically here, sexual actions, sexual in nature, is my body being used for wickedness? See, because it matters to God. Because the person who's been brought from death to life is the person that has changed, the person who desires. There's so much grace, church. There's unlimited forgiveness. And yet the reality, the whole point Romans 6 thus far, if you've been truly saved, you want to change. You desire, you hate sin at the end of the day. You want your body, and no more important or serious than sexually speaking, to be used as an instrument of righteousness. So the word instrument, right? Like think of it this way. As a skilled craftsman uses a tool. As a musician uses a musical instrument. As a soldier wields their sword. This is what it's saying that our bodies, again, I want you to really think about Our bodies are specifically instruments in the hand of God. Our bodies are designed to be instruments of righteousness in God's hand. Is that happening? Are we instruments of righteousness, vessels of honorable use? 2 Timothy 2. So another hymn that kind of speaks to this. Take my life and let it be. And this, this, this describes it all, right? Present yourselves, every part of me. Take my life and let it be consecrated, Lord, to thee. Take my moments and my days. Let them flow in ceaseless praise. Let them flow in ceaseless praise. And then the other, the other verses, I wish I could all them to you, but Lord, take my hands, take my voice, take my silver and my gold, take my will, take my love, take it all. Take it all. Here's my life, Lord, take and seal it. Take my life and let it be consecrated, Lord, to thee. See, the natural outworking of the indicative that leads to the imperative. In Christ, now I present myself to God. It just makes so much sense. It's such powerful theology. It takes us to our third and final point, which is this. Therefore, because I'm in Christ, sin is no longer my master. Sin is no longer my master. Verse, verse 14. For sin will have no dominion over you. Why? 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 Here's why. Since you are not under law, but you're under grace. Okay? Sin will have no dominion. In other words, sin, if you're in Christ, if you're saved, sin is no longer your master. And by the way, 
What Paul is saying here in verse 14, back to the indicative again, back to the promises of the gospel. If you're in Christ, the promise today and forever, church, is sin will have no dominion over you. Forever. Like that's the promise of glory coming when Jesus returns and takes you to himself. So the believer's reality is we enjoy freedom in Christ today and every day forever. That's the promise of verse 14. Now, why is that true? How can that be true? Because of Jesus Christ, but specifically, look at verse 14. For you are not under law, but you are under grace. Now, what does it mean that we're not under law? This doesn't mean, obviously, we have no obligation to the commandments in Scripture. Well, that would be ridiculous because they go against everything we just taught in this sermon today. Of course, we have obligations to our past reality in Christ for commands to holiness. So it doesn't mean we don't have to obey anything. So what is it saying then? It says this. We are no longer, longer under the domination of the law. We are no longer ruled by the domination of the law. Understand this, okay? The law in itself is not bad. The law does what? The law reveals our sin, but the law cannot save us from it. That's so key, okay? Uh, do, not, do not steal. Do not commit adultery. Do not lie. Do not use the Lord's name in vain, right? All these, that's the law. The law reveals the fact that we are sinful, but the law cannot save us from our sins. We need more than just the law. The law's not bad, it just can't bring us to victory. The law dominated the old regime. What's the old regime? The old covenant. The law dominated. It was all about rules and regulations we could never meet ourselves. Under the new covenant, what dominates? Grace now dominates. Grace dominates. Forgiveness dominates because of Jesus Christ and his death and resurrection. So, the judgment and penalties of the law no longer have power over us if we are in Christ. Why? Because we have received grace. And what is grace? It's a gift. It's getting what you don't deserve. Grace is a gift. You can't earn it. You can't do enough good deeds. You'll never be a good enough person to earn grace. It's a gift from God. Jesus Christ came and died that he might give us grace to save us from our sins. See, so a perfect verse for this is John 1, verse 17. Take a look on the screen. For the law was given through Moses. That's a good thing, but it's not enough. Notice, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. See, that's why Christmas and Easter is everything, right? It explains to us, again, the purpose and the mission of Jesus Christ. Just while we're here, let me put this up. This should be super helpful. Let's contrast the law versus grace, okay? The law is spelled D-O, what you have to do, okay? By the way, this is also how religion is spelled. Just, just so you know, I'm not religious, not in this sense. Christians are not religious because religion in our world is defined as what you have to do. You're trying to be the best person you can to earn some kind of salvation. That's impossible. Grace, Christianity is spelled D-O-N-E. What's already been done for you. You see, because, because Christ did everything, I don't have to do anything in terms of my salvation, I can't. I can't earn it. I can't. I'll never be good enough. Christ died for me. He did it already. I just need to receive what's been done. Huge difference between the law and grace religion and, of course, true Christianity, biblical Christianity. 
The law is what man does. Grace is what God has done already through his son, Jesus Christ. The law brings condemnation, as it should. The law says you are a sinner. And we're like, yes, I am. Condemnation. Grace brings forgiveness. Grace says you are forgiven because Christ has died for your sins. The law beats you up, as it should. The law pummels us because we're like, I can't, I can't defend myself. Grace builds us up. The law cannot save. Grace saves through Jesus Christ. The law is about external rules and regulations. I have to do this. I should do this, whatever. They're trying to perform, again, all these outward. Grace, notice, is the internal heart attitude of those who receive grace by faith. Massive difference. Law is, I ought to, I ought to. I, how many people live in this, in this area? I have to, I ought to, I should do, I ought to, I ought to. Always under condemnation and guilt. Grace says, no, 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 I want to. I'm not doing things to be saved. Because of the indicative, I have been saved. Now I desire to live for Christ because he's given me, again, life over death. You see that difference? Massive difference. Now I want to love Christ because what he's done, not because I have to. This is good. The law is where the sheep dies in the hand of the shepherd. But grace is where the shepherd dies for the sheep. The good shepherd, Jesus Christ, dies for the sheep himself. Amen, church? And then notice the law ultimately leads to defeat, right? Because we'll never be good enough. We'll never be good enough. There's so many people still, still in our day, trying to perform acts before whoever they think God is. They'll never be perfect, and so therefore law ends up in defeat. The law reveals our sin, cannot save us from it. Grace leads to victory because the Bible says over and over, but thanks be to God who gives us the victory in the Lord Jesus Christ. Everything comes down to the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the one who gives us the gift of grace that we may never die again, that we receive forgiveness of our sins. See, so that is why then sin, because of Jesus, sin is no longer my master. Because I'm no longer under the law. I'm no longer dominated by the law. Now I am ruled by grace and the freedom that is only found in the Lord Jesus Christ. There's a little hymn poem that kind of will end with this. Attributed to John Bunyan, could be someone else, but I love it. It says this. Do this and live the law commands, but gives me neither feet nor hands. But a better word the gospel brings, it bids me fly and gives me wings. You see that? Say that once more, okay? Do this and live, the law commands, but gives me neither feet nor hands. No way to fulfill it. A better word, though, the gospel brings. It bids me fly and gives me wings. That is the life that is saved and forgiven in the Lord Jesus Christ. The indicative, we have been saved in Christ, must lead to the imperative let not sin, therefore, reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. It's good stuff, eh, church? This is important truth. God, help us to change and grow. Let's pray, let's pray. Father, help us. Holy Spirit, oh, I pray. You are surgically applying with precision your word. I can only imagine the laser beams of light intersecting in people's hearts and minds and situations and homes and work, whatever it is, exact exact moments of their lives that you've spoken to them about. Continue to do that, Lord. Continue to do that. Reveal to us what sin remains and help us, Lord, to see you are righteousness, Jesus. Even as we sing now, oh, encourage us so much, I pray. We would see these words pop out from the screen into our hearts and say, yes, Jesus is my righteousness. Jesus Christ, holiness, 
in me. May it be so, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand, let's sing together.